Amen. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Blake Godsey. I serve as the family pastor here at Solid Rock, and I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. If you hadn't noticed, uh, today is Family Worship Sunday, which is a time when uh, all of our kids and students are invited to join the adults in the service. Um, We still have our nursery and toddler classes available, but we really want this to be an opportunity for the whole family to get to experience singing and worship together, listening to the teaching of the word together, communion together for some, prayer together. We really want this to be an opportunity for you all to have the same Sunday experience so that hopefully later today, going through the week, uh, whenever it comes up that you can reflect together on what you learn together. So we're excited to have you here and also just please want to put your mind at ease as best as possible. If your kids start to get restless, like it's okay. We understand. We understand it's not what they're used to. Nobody's going to be giving you the side eye. It's okay. So we just want to put your minds at ease as much as possible. I did also just want to let you know on a kid's topic um, that VBS is coming. Uh, It's not starting this coming week, but the following week, July 10th through 13th. But today is the last day to register. So the VBS is open to any kids age four through completed fourth grade. So if that is one of your children, we would love to have them there. We're going to be talking about some stories of Jesus And it's going to be space-themed, so it's going to be pretty cool. How is that going to come together? I guess we're going to find out, July 10th through 13th. Jesus never went to space. So, but we are going to be today, we're going to be continuing in our uh, Suffering Saints series. If you're wondering when we started that, it was last week. So we started last week, Uh, Jason kind of introduced that, and we're going to be talking through some of the heroes of the faith and how they suffered well and what we can learn as people who If we seek to follow Christ, we are going to experience suffering. So uh, to lead into that, I wanted to ask you if you've ever known someone who seemed to always be doing the right thing. Someone who, you know, when everybody was getting in trouble, they were the one who wasn't getting in trouble. Whenever there was something like, oh man, I should have known to do that. There was this person you can remember. They were the, maybe you would have called them a goody two shoes or some other phrase that you'd have thought for somebody. Not, of course, they were perfect, but it seemed like mm, they were always doing the right thing. And maybe it was a little frustrating because you, you know, we read in scripture about people like Peter and we're like, I get, I get you, Peter. You're always making mistakes. I always make mistakes too, Peter. Thank you. But then there's some people in scripture like who we're going to talk about today that, man, they they seem to always be doing the right thing. We're actually going to talk about Daniel today from the book of Daniel. Daniel was one of these guys. He seemed like he was always doing the right thing. And, you know, he's got a book named after him. Maybe he was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll leave that part out, you know, where I made that mistake, right? But when we see in his book what he's doing, he's constantly making the right choice. So the good thing is we have some very positive examples to look at from Daniel because he was dealing with situations where he was under unjust leadership, where he was experiencing unjust law, and where he was uh, kind of had some cultural norms around him. I'm kind of saying those kind of unwritten rules of the culture, right, that change, where he was under un- injustice in those arenas. And we know that we find ourselves in that same place too, where we find ourselves under ungodly leadership, ungodly law, ungodly cultural norms, those things that are maybe unwritten but expected. So what we're going to see in the story of Daniel is that his suffering is an example for what we can emulate, what we can take as our example for what it looks like to suffer well under those circumstances, even when following God is in conflict with 
human leaders, human laws, these cultural norms we experience. So we're going to look at a couple of stories from Daniel uh, in Daniel 1 and chapter 6. But before we jump into those, I wanted to just let you know a little bit of the background of the book of Daniel, what Daniel's kind of cultural situation he's going through is. So uh, Daniel, from the moment he was born, was experiencing ungodly leadership. Because unfortunately, at that time in Judah, there were many kings that were disobedient to God. They were not following the law, what God would have them do. And that's actually a reason that led to something we call the exile. So during Daniel's lifetime, the people of Judah were exiled to a nation called Babylon. And after repeated uh, prophets coming and telling the people, if we don't turn back to the law, if we don't turn back to following God, then we will experience punishment. Uh, Those warnings went unheeded, and eventually the people of Judah were taken into exile into Babylon. And Daniel was one of these. But Daniel wasn't just some random person who was taken into exile. He was selected. He was selected to go into exile early on in the period where Babylon was invading And it's because he was of noble birth. It was because he was well-educated. It's because he was handsome. And it's because he was young. So they took a group of people that kind of fit that criteria, what the Babylonians would say, these are the best people if they have these qualities. They were taken and they were actually brought into the king's court. So the kings, the people who were in the king's court, they would be learning the language. They'd be learning the culture. And they would be eating not just regular food, but they would be eating of food from the king's table. So they were getting the best of the best portions from the king. But there's an issue. There's an issue for Daniel and others who would have been trying to remain faithful to God during this time. Let's read in Daniel 1, uh, starting in verse 8 through verse 10. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? Okay, so we think about, okay, we're going to get the same food that the king's eating. Immediately you think, okay, that's probably going to be the best food, right? But as enticing as it sounds, there would have been a problem for someone like Daniel, a Jewish exile, trying to hold to the Mosaic law, okay? So they were out, he was out of his nation, but still the people who wanted to remain faithful to God would have been seeking as best they could to continue to follow the Mosaic law. And part of that, there were dietary things in the law, that he would have been paying attention to. So there would have been probably a couple issues with the king's food. One, it may have been a meat that was forbidden under the law. The preparation of that meat may have been forbidden under the law. So those are two things that could have been a part of it. And then definitely, and honestly, this one being really significant too because of its implications, those, that food, that drink would have probably been a part of idol worship. It probably would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian pantheon of gods as a part of their worship of their false gods. So for someone like Daniel wanting to obey the law, that's a non-starter because there's multiple ways that he's going to break both the letter and the spirit of the law if this is to happen. So the laws, the norms of that time, what everybody else was doing for Daniel and for his companions, that would have been a problem. So he approaches this chief who's in charge, 
and says if they can have something else, something clean, something that would have been considered clean under the law. And God gave Daniel favor in the eyes of the Babylonians. And he listens. But the chief is afraid. He's afraid that if you don't get the right nourishment, you're not going to look right, and I'm going to, not only am I going to get fired, I'm going to lose my life if you and the other guys like you do not look as healthy as the ones eating the king's food. He's like, I'm taking a big risk here. But Daniel, trusting God, he offers a deal to this chief. Picking it back up in verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So Daniel talks to the steward. He said, let's, let's have a little test here. You keep giving this group the normal food. Give me and my friends. Give us just vegetables and water. And let's just see who's doing better after that 10 days. Sure enough, after the 10 days, Daniel and his friends, you may actually know these three friends by their Babylonian names a little bit better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian names they were given. Um, if you ever watch Veggie Tales, the Rack Shack and Benny, um, that's, what, that's how I first learned the story. So they actually, not only did they measure up or they equaled, they were better in appearance after this 10 days. And because of that, the chief steward's like, okay, I guess it's veggies and water for everyone. So, uh, so I'd like to help illustrate a little bit of this point um, today. Uh, so I'd like to invite my, my SR kids to please come to the front here and stand here in the front. Don't be shy. Come on up. I need your help to help the adults. Sometimes we just need, we need to visualize something before we can fully understand it, okay? So you really need to help out your parents, everybody here. So right down here, Grayson, right down here in the front. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Come on down. I need your help. We've got to show the adults what was going on here. All right. Are y'all ready? They're ready. I can tell. All right. So here's what I'm going to do, young ones. I'm going to give you two choices of a food you can have whenever you want and a food you can never have, okay? Sound good? So the first one, if you would like to be able to have Chick-fil-A whenever you want, over here, if you'd rather have broccoli whenever you want, come, come over here. So make your choice. Chick-fil-A over there, broccoli over here. What do you think? All right, Farron says she wants Chick-fil-A. Dahlia, yeah, okay. I'm sorry to bring up Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. Um, I know that's, that wasn't cool of me. Okay, so everybody wants Chick-fil-A, right? Okay, that makes sense. Okay, come back to the middle. Come back to the middle. We have a couple other options for you. I'd like to know if you'd rather have a hamburger or cheeseburger whenever you want. However, you can do so without violating any of your dietary restrictions. Or would you rather have Brussels sprouts? So if you'd rather have Brussels sprouts, kind of come over here. If you a hamburger or, you know, I'll throw a hot dog. You can have a hot dog too, a hamburger, cheeseburger, if you'd rather have that. All right, we've got one for team vegetables over here. That's good. Okay. All right, back to the middle. I've got one more for you. Would you rather be able to have pizza whenever you want, or would you rather have lima beans whenever you want? So, whichever. Anybody know what a lima bean is? That's, a, that's okay. You don't need to know. It's not important. It won't come up again. 
All right, very good. Now, what if I told you that when Farron chose Brussels sprouts over a hamburger, that because Farron had chosen Brussels sprouts, that all of you had to have Brussels sprouts? Would that make you upset? Yeah, that'd make you upset. Farron would be happy. Yeah, she wanted the Brussels sprouts. Everybody else would have probably been a little bit upset. Okay, y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you for helping. Very brave to come up in front here. So this is what was happening. There were a, a select few who said, hey, let's have vegetables and water. And then you've got literally everybody else is on the other end and is like, so because they want vegetables and water, I have to eat vegetables and water now, right? So maybe wouldn't have made them the most popular, but here's the thing. Remember, it, it showed that they were actually they looked better than the others. And you can imagine if you had a, a nice spread of vegetables with lots of your vital nutrients, you could imagine how somebody with that diet might do better than somebody eating constantly really rich and decadent food, right? And this isn't actually where it stops for Daniel and his friends. They continued to grow in prominence. Even though they were foreigners in a foreign land, they continued to find favor among the people in Babylon. They continued to kind of move up the ladder of leadership. And so as we think about what happened here, about how they were faced with this decision where they had to either stand firm or just kind of give in to what was expected of them, there's some things we can learn from how Daniel reacted when he was confronted with this unjust cultural norm, which is basically what it was, right? They, they ate the food. That's just what they did. So the first thing we can learn is that he stood firm in what he knew was true. He knew that these things were true, and he stood firm. Unfortunately for us, sometimes we can kind of teeter one way or the other. So sometimes we can teeter to the side where we maybe let our opinions carry the same weight as Scripture, or other times we can feel like, you know, it may be, I, I know this is true, but ooh, people really don't like it, so maybe I'll just kind of soften up a little bit on this opinion. We kind of teeter one way or the other. So sometimes it's those personal convictions, it's those personal opinions we get them confused with biblical truth. We kind of have a cultural idea of what it means to be a Christian that maybe doesn't fully line up with Scripture because no human cultural ideology can match what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? So sometimes we find ourselves standing a little too firmly on things that maybe don't actually matter all that much. And we have to remember that Scripture is what informs our beliefs. And that's true when it fits our preferences, and it's still true when it doesn't really fit our preferences. When scripture says something it doesn't really matter what our preference is, that is what we hold to be true. But then again, on the other hand, sometimes we're a little too quick to soften on things we know are true, some things that we know are biblical because they're not terribly popular, because our culture doesn't see it as true. Different examples, maybe thinking of Jesus being the only way to the Father, as he told us in John maybe the existence of objective truth, the existence of sin in the world. Sometimes those aren't popular opinions. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't hold to it. It doesn't mean that it's something that we cast away. But the way we stand firm in something like that makes a huge difference. We see that from Daniel too. The second thing we see is he expressed his disagreement with kindness and respect. He approached with the respect that was befitting somebody of the office that this chief was in right? Daniel approached gently. And let's, let's be honest, he has the authority of the word of God behind him. He's right, okay? In terms of what he should be doing, as someone who's trying to follow the law, he was 100% right. But still, he approached with gentleness. 
So standing firm against something we know is wrong doesn't mean we have to get big and loud and angry. That's not the only way to disagree, right? As a society, we've lost a lot of what it means to disagree in a healthy manner, for me to listen to you, for you to listen to me, and for us to say, yeah, we see things differently, and it doesn't have to become hostile, right? Daniel approached the chief with kindness, with gentleness. And then the third thing he did, and this is huge, he trusted God for the result. He didn't try to make it happen for himself. He didn't force it to go however the way it was going to go using any means necessary. He trusted that God was going to take care of him. He trusted that when he made this kind of deal with the chief, that one way or the other, God was going to make a way for him. Whether it worked out how it did or not, that God was going to make a way for him to be obedient. And that's exactly what happened. And again, these guys weren't just passable. They weren't just good enough following God's law. They looked better than the others. God blessed that, that risk that Daniel took and gave him a way to be obedient and continue to give him favor among those people that he was with. And so in this instance, when the expectation was different and opposed to God's will, things worked out well. And again, they gained more and more favor. They actually, as we go through the book of Daniel, we're going to see that everywhere he goes, everything he touches turns to gold. He gains a lot of favor, even in this foreign land. But there's a problem for Daniel and for his friends. They're going to continue to suffer under poor leadership, under ungodly laws, under ungodly cultural norms. So uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, you may be familiar with their story. They refused to bow down to an idol, idol, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace, so God protected them. Daniel saw the same king, Nebuchadnezzar, bring, try to bring glory to himself for everything Babylon had accomplished, in the face, and he did that in the face of God. God caused him to live as a beast of the field, to humble him. Those were the kind of kings that Daniel was under. There was another king named Belshazzar, who one day was having a party and he wanted to impress the people. So he took the sacred utensils that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, things that were used in the worship of God, and he used them as just utensils at his dinner party. This is the kind of situation that Daniel was finding himself in. And then moving into chapter 6, there was a king named Darius. And this is a story that's probably familiar to many of you. Moving into Daniel 6, starting with verses 1 through 5, it says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we see this system that Darius sets up. When Darius comes in, it's a little bit of a change of leadership to this Medo-Persian kind of empire. So there's a, this is a big change, switching to Darius. But even so, who still is kind of that cream that rises to the top? It's Daniel. 
Daniel is still one of these people, even as the regime changes, right? So there's this system of satraps, kind of, it means protectors of the kingdom. They're effectively kind of governors of various rank. And then there's three high officials over that 120. Sure enough, who's over? Daniel's that guy again. And then Daniel's doing so well in that, that Darius is planning to put him over the whole kingdom. But not everyone loves the star pupil. You may be thinking of that person that you thought of at the beginning, and you're like, yeah, I kind of didn't like that person. They made me look bad. Daniel was this person for everybody else. He kind of made the other people in leadership look bad because he was so great. I mean, look, they're trying to find any reason to complain about him, and they literally can't think of a single thing except for verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's what we would want people to say about us, right? We would want people to say, you know what? This person just treats me so well, it's kind of frustrating. The only, the only real reason that I kind of bump up against them is because they're really, they're really committed to biblical ideals. They're really committed to the person of Jesus. That's really the only thing about them that really makes me upset. We would want people to say the same thing about us, that the things that kind of cause friction between us and others would be those things that are truly important, right? But unfortunately, these, these men aren't looking at Daniel favorably. They aren't looking at this as a good quality. They're actually going to follow up on what they thought in verse 5. In verse 6 and 7, it says this. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So the leaders who are jealous of Daniel, they come to the king and they are ready to do some flattering. King, live forever. We were just thinking, we were all talking, every one of us agrees, you're so great that uh, we should only pray to you for a whole month uh, because you're so awesome. They wanted to put him as the only human mediator between God and man for a whole month. That's quite an honor to bestow on a person, right? And the punishment, it's not like just a fine or community service or jail time. The punishment is to be thrown into a den of lions, right? One of the bigger judicial overreactions that I can think of, that if you don't do this, you're going to have to go into the den of lions, right? And apparently they just had lions on standby ready for that. So that's the punishment. It's not because it's fair. It's because they know exactly what they want to happen to Daniel. They are not looking for Daniel to receive a slap on the hand. They do not want him to have to pay a fine. They don't want him to even have to serve some jail time because they're probably pretty sure he's going to end up running the jail by the end. They want him out of the picture, and they know that Daniel will not follow this law. So they move this law forward. They kind of fast track it. Darius, of course, is feeling very puffed up by this. And he's like, that sounds great to me. So what is Daniel going to do? What is Daniel going to do now that following God is not just taboo? It's not just uh, people don't like it, but that it would be punishable by death. What would Daniel do? Let's pick it up in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed 
and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So right at the beginning, we know from verse 10, Daniel was not ignorant of this law. He was not unaware that this, it wasn't an accident. He did this because this was his habit. This is how he worshiped God. And even though he knew it could potentially have cost him his life. And scholars think that by this point, Daniel may have been about 80 years old. So if this was the habit that he was in, you have to think he'd been in this habit for quite some time. And in case you're wondering, it's not quite as similar to chapter 1 as we might think. So there were some clear laws, violations that he would have been breaking if he'd had this food. There's not like this specific, uh, oh, you have to pray toward Jerusalem three times a day in the Mosaic law, right? But there's a couple of things that make it realize, yeah, to do this would have been probably wrong for Daniel. One, he's not going to put anyone in the place of God, which would be a clear violation of God's law to put anyone above God. To say, I'm going to stop praying to honor this human king, that's a non-starter. That's a non-starter for Daniel. And knowing, too, that prayer is an important part of our relationship with God. It's not a side thing. It's not something we do when we aren't sure what else to do, right? Prayer is vital to our spiritual life. Prayer puts us in the position of humility that we should be in and gives God the glory that he is due. So even if there wasn't some mandate for, you need to pray this many times, this is what Daniel did. This is how he worshiped God. He wasn't going to stop doing it to honor a human king. So Daniel held firm to his conviction that he was only going to pray to God and that he wouldn't stop praying, that he was going to continue doing it, and he didn't hide it. He's in his house. The windows are open, right? You can see him. And sure enough, these people who were jealous, these, these jealous guys who want to bring Daniel down, they know that. They find themselves, oh, oh, we just happened to be outside Daniel's house. Guess what we saw? No, they planned it. They knew where he lived. They knew what he was going to be doing. They knew he's going to be praying. They wouldn't have to even wait that long to catch him praying because they knew the type of character that Daniel had. So they run. They tell King Darius, the, uh, the big tattle uh, on Daniel, on the, the one who's always doing the right thing. Hey, Darius, we finally caught him doing the wrong thing. And they say, hey, you remember that new law we just drafted up? Darius is like, yeah, I remember. It's, it's irrevocable. That's how we do law here. And so then they tell him that it was Daniel who broke the law. And here's the response of Darius. Daniel 6, starting in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So Darius hears the news, and he is upset. He is distraught. He is distressed. A couple of reasons. First, he liked Daniel. We can see from this exchange. He really liked Daniel, respected Daniel. Again, when they kind of totally had a regime change, he still wanted Daniel around, even though he'd been serving 
this other regime of kings for decades. He still wanted him around. He thought that highly of him. So he's upset about that. Second, he realized he was a pawn. He realizes he was a pawn in the schemes of these jealous men. He was used by these guys to eliminate a political rival. And he feels probably some distress, probably a little bit of shame over that. He wanted to save Daniel, but these men are, oh, they're so, they're so kind, and they remind him, oh, actually, sorry, there's nothing you can do to change the law. I guess it's kind of like, you know, when uh, somebody receives wishes or something in a movie, and their first thing is like, well, you can't wish for infinite wishes, and everybody's like, ah, man. I think it's kind of a similar thing, like, okay, you draw up this law, you can't just make a law that reverses the law. Some sort of, you know, rule they had where once it was in writing, even a new law that would cover up that law, nope, non-starter. So he doesn't have time to draft up new legislation to get this changed. He does his best. It says he's tried till sunup. Nope. He eventually, he has to go. He has to seal the order with his own ring, with the rings of some other high-ranking people, that this is going to be Daniel's punishment. He's in the den of lions. He has no choice. But he goes back. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. He's not having any audiences. Nobody comes see me. He's isolated. He's stressed. He's hopeful. He's hopeful that God will take care of Daniel. He's hopeful that this God that I would bet Daniel has told him about, that maybe he's going to come through for him. Maybe he is who Daniel says he is. Here's what happens in the morning. Verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king gets up after this sleepless night. He's hungry. He's tired. But first thing he's got to do, sun up. He's got to go and see what happened to Daniel. He says, Daniel, he calls hope against hope. Oh, Daniel, are you still down there? And Daniel replies, I, I imagine it kind of just really even tone, right? Darius is super stressed. And Daniel's like, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. My God protected me because no fault was found in me. I'm, I'm okay. Hey, king, live forever. This kind of, you know, honorific that they would give to the kings. And so this certain death sentence, right, den of lions, that's not, that's not, oh, I guess we'll see what happens, right? That's, that's a death sentence that was handed out. It's turned into another example for generations of God's faithfulness to his people. And those deceitful men who plotted against Daniel, they were given the punishment that they tricked Daniel into. It actually says that before they even landed in the den that the lions started tearing at them. So we see God took care of Daniel. In this episode of the poor leadership, of that poor law, of these poor cultural norms, it turned out a lot differently than the first one. The first one was a little easier, right? He, he asked for the food, he got the food, the food worked out. It was, it was pretty good. This one, was, this was a tougher road for Daniel, Right? oftentimes doing the right thing is going to result in suffering. We're not always going to get the blessing of, hey, I'm going to stand up for what's right, and everybody says, you know what, yeah, that, that is what we're going to do. Oftentimes doing the right thing is going to lead to suffering. 
Daniel did what was right in God's eyes. He followed what he knew best to worship God, and he was still punished for it because ungodly people were making the rules. So he was punished for it. But Daniel was still willing to continue to follow God because he knew that no consequence of humans, nothing that a person could do to him could compare to that eternal relationship he had with God. That was worth more to him, even in the face of great suffering. His hope wasn't that the laws of Babylon or the laws of Persia would be more favorable to him. His hope was greater than that. It was to entrust himself to a holy God. That was where he found his hope. You may remember when we were in the book of 1 Peter recently, we actually see that same sentiment from Peter, who was also in a time of great suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure and you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The worlds that Daniel and Peter lived in were very similar. Even though hundreds of years separated them, they were very similar worlds where to follow God could mean not just a little bit of suffering, but even suffering to the point of death. But we see the same calling that Peter calls us to in the New Testament, that we see from the example of Daniel in the Old Testament. God's people are to entrust themselves to him. We're not to give up on our faith, to throw it aside like it doesn't matter. We're not supposed to expect that things are going to get easy. And we're not supposed to return evil for evil. And I don't have to tell you that we live in a world today that is hostile to biblical beliefs. We do. We live in a society where the cultural norms, where sometimes the law, it doesn't match up with what we would believe is right. But as believers, we don't become hostile in response. That's not what we're called to. We need to become more steadfast. We need to have greater endurance. We need to be more encouraging to one another so that even when the world around us isn't on our side, that we can still have one another's back, that we can encourage one another to continue to stand firm. And we need to be more grounded in God's word so that we know what the things that are worth standing up for are and what are some things we can just let go, some things that don't matter. Just like Daniel, this isn't going to make everyone like us. We saw that there were many people who, when Daniel lived a righteous life, they did like him. And that certainly can happen. But there are always going to be people who don't. There are always going to be people who see you stand firm in your faith and they say, I don't like that, and I don't like that person and I would love to see him fall. There will be people like that. But we'll be able to live with a clear conscience before God, and that ultimately matters so much more. In the latter part of the book of Daniel, um, there's actually a lot of prophecy, a lot of prophecy in the second half of the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 7, God shows Daniel a vision of the future, of a future hope, of a future 
leader. Daniel 7, starting in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel saw and shared this future hope for a kingdom without end. No more leadership turnover. No more injustice. No more division. Putting ourselves in Daniel's shoes, what a hope that must have been for someone who endured so much suffering under poor leadership, who saw so many leaders time and again care nothing about the God of the universe, but only seek their own glory, for there to be one who actually deserves that glory on the throne, to be gathering all peoples to himself, not just for a time, not just until people get tired of him, but forever. What a hope that must have been. He saw a future where one like a son of man was given dominion forever. You may know this is one of the many titles by which we know Jesus. He would call himself the son of man. We take it back to this prophecy and say, oh, okay, you're not just saying that you're a, a, a person. You're saying you are the person, right? We take, bring back to this Daniel chapter 7 passage and understand Jesus in a whole new way. That's who Daniel was talking about, even though he didn't know. He just had a hope for a future ruler. We know who it is. And when we're suffering under poor leadership, poor laws, cultural norms that are hostile to our beliefs, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope's in Jesus. We don't have to get our way. Everything doesn't have to be fair. It's not going to be fair. But we have the same hope as Daniel. We have more information. We get to entrust ourselves to God through faith in Jesus, knowing that suffering in this life will have an end. And we have a future, eternal kingdom with a perfect leader that's waiting for us. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't met this perfect leader, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, or maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus, but you are wanting to pursue baptism out of obedience to one of those things we know that Christ calls us to, or maybe today you just need prayer. Maybe you need prayer to help you through some of the suffering you're going through. We're going to have people, some prayer partners at the front. We'll have some elders around. They wear lanyards, be out in the commons. We would love to talk to you about any and all of those things because we want to point you to the one who is our hope. And as we close up today, I just want to give us a couple of questions to reflect on, and I'll pray for us. First one, how do you respond when you find yourself under ungodly rules or leadership? How do you find yourself reacting when you're in those inevitable situations where some sort of leadership or law or norm is bumping up against what you believe is right? Second, what are some of those rules or laws that cause you to feel tension? And I'd ask you to examine, is this a biblical belief? Am I struggling with wanting my preferences, or am I really struggling against something that is a spiritual matter? And third, what can you do to entrust yourself, and this is how Peter puts it, to him who judges justly, to entrust yourself to God? How can you entrust yourself to God, and what might it cost I know this, it will cost a great deal, but the cost is worth it. He's worth it. Let's pray.
God, we do thank you that you judge justly. God, we confess before you that the just judgment for us would be to be separated from you because we are sinners, every one of us. God, we confess that to you this morning. We thank you that you sent Jesus to take that punishment for us so that instead of being separated from you, we could be reconciled to you. That you wouldn't just say, you're okay with us, but that you would tell us you love us. That we can be a part of your family. That we can be called children of God. God, we're grateful this morning. God, strengthen us. Lord, as your people, we want to serve you well in this world. But sometimes we don't know how. We get confused. We make mistakes. God, strengthen us. Help give us wisdom. Help give us grace for ourselves, for others, when we do inevitably fail. God, we are grateful to serve a king who is just. And thank you. In Jesus' name.